Welcome to the Game of Crowdfunding Interview Edition, recorded January 1st, 2014. That's right. We're not going to take any rest here. We're going to start the year off right away with an interview. And who is joining us for the first interview of the year on Skype today? Hi, I'm Joey Vigor. I'm the designer of Chiasmos and the co-founder of Mirror Box Games. So we're going to be talking to Joey here about Chaosmos, which is going to launch on Kickstarter tomorrow. Well, by the time you hear this, it'll already have launched because this will probably come out over the weekend. But we're going to talk about this game. We're going to talk about Mirrorbox Games a bit. We're going to get to know Joey. And uh, hopefully uh, you'll also go check out the project as it launches here and give him a little love. So, Joey. Yeah. Let's start you off here with some of our uh, standard questions here. Uh, what do you do for a profession besides make games and develop games? Or Sure. So I am an editor for reality television. I'm the guy who makes you say terrible things that you would never actually say in real life. And uh, I feel terribly guilty about it. And it, it doesn't pay as well as it should for such a terrible, horrible profession. But uh, that's what I do. <laughs> I think we've just hit a first. <laughs> and I don't know if that's a good thing, Joey. <laughs> What is the first? <laughs> Having somebody that works in reality TV on the show. <laughs> well, at least at least I'm honest about it. I'm not the producers that are in charge of uh, crushing and destroying people's lives. I, I'm the, I'm the guy who who is forced to at knife point, and I do it, and I spend my small amount of savings on tons and tons of board games, and think about <laughs> dreaming of being of being a professional game designer forever and for a living. So, what makes you a geek, sir? Oh my gosh. I, I, you know, I think I'm more of a closet geek. I try not to admit it to my girlfriend because I think it makes she's a little questioning as to whether geeks can be cool. But how dare she? Geeks are so awesome. Geeks are <laughs> awesome. I love being a geek. I have so many board games right now. Just from the last two years, I love Asian cinema. I could geek on about Shion Sono, my favorite director, for hours and hours and hours. I love being a geek. I love music. I love snotty pop punk bands from the 1990s i can't even tell you most of their names because that would not maybe be appropriate <laughs> uh, words to use on on air i could talk about edgar Allan poe i could talk about hp lovecraft i could talk about so many books oh gosh i'm such a geek i love role-playing <laughs> games i love board games i love card games tabletop games of all kinds i just got into a game called infinity not disney infinity infinity which is i think a spanish miniatures game and i could go on and on and on about that i'm a geek do you have any geek level passions for something that most other people might not consider geek related yeah i guess probably i'm gonna have to go back to the the movie geekery because a lot of people watch movies but i really don't i really don't geek out on things that other people geek out on i really like historical dramas amongst other things and i could go on and on about the various connections on IMDb between the, the different producers and, and writers and editors of strange, ostensibly boring movies. So I love, 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 love movies. I, I guess that would be a lot of people geek out on the Avengers. I, that's not for me. I, I don't like the big budget geekery stuff. I, I have kind of a separate, quiet geek corner that I retreat to with a few of my geek friends who are also in the geek closet. So are you uh, kind of like my fiance where I always do movie quotes and she never gets them? She has a hard time with movie quotes, but she'll come at me with, yeah, you know, that the cousin of the grip. 
Yeah, I'm, I don't annoy people about Cousins of the Grip, but I certainly know Cousins of the Grip, but I do quote movies all the time. Specifically, there's three specifically. Groundhog Day, I quote probably every day. Back to the Future, one, two, and three, I quote probably every day. It's just impossible not to. And I also am a huge fan of the 1995 movie Get Shorty, which I quote every day. Nice. I always get her with movie quotes, but then she'll come at me with, wow, who was that in that movie? You know, it was the cousin of the grip on that second movie. I'm like, who knows that? <laughs> whenever somebody, whenever someone says something like, gives me a list of something, you know, oh, don't forget to, you know, go to the store and get cantaloupes. I'll say, oh, I'm, you know, I'm writing this down. This is good stuff. And they'll say, what a, what a weird thing to say. And I'm like, no, that's, that's back to the future when, when Marty is, is teaching George how to be like, how to, how to, pick up Lorraine and he's like and they're like what that's not even like a classic quote and I'm like it's my favorite quote <laughs> so I can't help it I try to kind of relax and go about my day like a quote-unquote normie but it's impossible the geekery just it just it it is resonant in me and I am totally responsive to its whim and it and its will so you Work in reality TV. Have you been working in the television industry for a while? So I went to film school and I graduated in 2007. And my first show that I was working on in post-production was Lost. That was season three. Let me see. When was that? 2008. Oh, my God. My fiance wants to meet you now. <laughs> well, I, I wasn't I wasn't one of the, uh, the big I wasn't you know, I was basically just a post-production intern. Very briefly. Doesn't um, matter. I, <laughs> but I, I can I can say that I could walk with my head held high as I as I roamed the streets of Los Angeles because I knew certain characters were about to come back from the dead and other people on the street you know they they probably walked about their their daily lives and had no idea what was coming and so that gave me a sense of power I do feel a little lied to in that I was pretty disappointed with the the last three seasons but I am a huge fan of the first three seasons especially I really really think that. If the first three seasons had continued at that quality level to the end, I think it would be considered, if not the greatest show ever, I think it would be considered the defining show of the 2000s. So you've been working in the television industry for a while. Where does the transition for you or where where's the decision point, I guess, for you to say, you know what, uh, let me try my hand at, at game design? Well, I was working... In a bunch of on a bunch of reality shows for Discovery Channel and TLC, not making like I said a huge amount of money, but loving the sort of the technical aspect of you know they give me the footage, they go away, I pretend I'm writing their notes down, but really I'm just kind of dismissing their their terrible network notes. Um, I don't work for those channels anymore, so it's okay to talk about it. I think, but uh, in my free time I would play board games, and it wasn't it was mostly. Uh, what I would consider to be like gateway games, sort of the the classic gateway games, Carcassonne and Dominion. And I had always wanted to play Cosmic Encounter. It was something I've known about my entire life. It just seemed like it was this kind of far off amorphous thing that I, I couldn't really understand when, when people would tell me about it. Um, and I finally, I got it, or rather I stole it from a friend of mine who had won it in a contest. And I busted the box open. This is the Fantasy Flight version. This is only two, three years ago. And I could not figure out how to play the game because it just seemed so simple. I, I just reading the instructions, I just didn't understand what was good about the game. So I was pretty dismissive of it. But 
I finally played the game and now I understand why people love that game. And so, it, so Cosmic Encounter was the game that got me into gaming really. And I, I just, I could talk about the game for hours. I love it. But there's, there's a definite difference between, you know, playing a game and falling in love with it to let me start designing games. I mean, I, I know a lot of us kind of go through that that mode i mean that you know I, a lot of gamers will go through man i wish i owned a game store and man let me design a game but when did you decide to kind of get serious about it i guess or, or uh, was there a lead up to that yeah so just because i wasn't involved in the modern board gaming movement i guess you could say doesn't mean i wasn't designing games i love games and i've always sort of I, I, I guess I didn't realize that there were cool games out there. I I, I, I grew up on life and careers and Monopoly. Never finished a game of Risk, but I started maybe 50 when I was a kid. But I've always been working on my own prototypes, and I've had a million, at least 10, I would say, that, that were finished. And then we, as a family, we would design like this ornate inlaid box with, you know, hand-painted cover art and I have a bunch of these. We we have several of the classic original Joey Vigor designs floating around in my old house in Virginia. But the the one game that really I just kept going back to was this this design that had been inspired by a book I read when I was a kid. This sci-fi book called Interstellar Pig, and it's by uh, William Slater. And he wrote this book about aliens that are vying for uh, across space and time for this mysterious object. And the book. It doesn't make a huge amount of sense in that it it's created sort of its own mythos. But I was so in love with this book. In fact, I still love this book. And so I had a bunch of different prototypes based on this book, Interstellar Pig. And so I kept going back to it. And even in my 20s and, and now I'm finally in my 30s, I just kept going back to the same homemade prototype. And people would say, oh, do you want to play Risk 20 to 10 or do you want to play whatever? And I would say, no, why don't we play this game Chiasmos? So I started working on it more and more. And when I played Cosmic Encounter, that was sort of like the big flash of insight where I said, wait a minute, like this early prototype, which is, you know, it's just a simple roll and move game, but it had a, a couple pretty unique mechanics. Why don't I take this, sit down with it and spend about a year? And I did improving it, making the mechanics sort of more modern, changing out the roll and move with like an action point allowance system and balancing it. And then, of course, because of Cosmic Encounter, I was obsessed with variable player powers. And so I added the most insanely asymmetrical player powers I've ever seen in any game. Just totally weird, strange, unique alien powers. And then as soon as I was done with that, all these people came out of the woodwork to play this game. Friends of mine, people say, oh, you know, my friend is into games and I would meet them and join game groups. So I'm going on and on, but that's that's how I got into board game design. And, and I met my friend Matt, who said, this is the best game I've ever played ever. We need to make a company and sell it. So Chaosmos was your lead into getting serious about game design. It sounds, I mean, it sounds like you had other things prior to that, but this is the one that kind of sunk in and, and you decided needed fleshing out and additional development. So you get to the point where you you spend a good amount of time on this, and then how does that transition into Mirrorbox Games gets created with uh, a team, basically, it sounds like. Yeah, so I was at a Christmas party in 2011, just showing my my game, as always. I always 
kept it in the trunk of my car because why not? That's that's what game designers do. Is they always have something on them at all times, even if it's just a small something in their breast pocket. I carried around this enormous three foot wide box full of all my all my aliens. So, you know, I brought it out at this Christmas party and managed to convince some people to play it. What followed, I think at the time it was partly luck in that we happened to have one of the most epic sessions of this game ever. And everybody that played the game instantly was asking questions about where it came from. And so one of the guys I met at this party, or I had sort of known him before, but we became friends, said, you know, I would love to be a part of this project. And he was an iPhone developer. So first we were talking about, can we make it a digital game? And But it really just kept going back. This is a board game and we need to we need to do something with it. And so he introduced me to a bunch of people who had sort of done similar things in the past. And we went to our first trade show in 2013 in March, the game of trade show. And that's where we sort of were sort of wading into the pond to test the waters and we were just totally embraced by the community. It's been just an amazing ride. Out of that, then Mirror Box Games gets created and, and you guys are uh, flagshipping off of Chaosmos here, it seems like. This is going to be your uh, flagship game to, to start off this company? Well, to start off, yeah. I've got, I've got three more designs that are completed, but I want to see... I think this is the most... I don't want to say innovative, but this is this is the most unique product we have so far in our in our lineup. And so I wanted to test the water with this game first. And then if people are responsive to it, then then uh, I probably should have done it in the other order. But regardless, this, <laughs> this is the one I'm most proud of because it's the most different. A lot of the other games were to some degree influenced by other games and, you know, with a spin or something like that. This game, Chaosmos, is our flagship product for now. For Mirrorbox Games itself, is this uh, something that you're looking at? Like you said, you've got several other ideas and designs in the works to come later. Is it specifically designed around continuing to produce games that you guys have on the docks? Or are you looking at potentially expanding out to submissions or other people's designs as well? Where do you see yourself in the game industry side of things, I guess? I haven't thought about that because we haven't published our game yet. So I want to see what happens with Chaosmos. If it does really well, and I, I'm hoping that it will, then I guess we, we could definitely have a conversation about about it. I've seen some amazing games that were being demoed at Gen Con and BGG Con, games that, uh, you know, I hit myself in the forehead. Why didn't I think of that? I have no idea if I'm if I'm at a point where I'm ready to have meetings with, with those designers about acquiring other games. I've got, like I said, I've got three games maybe four in the pipeline already right now, but it's something I guess we would think about. All right. So for now it's you, you've got some designs that you're looking at developing yourself in, in house. Yeah. I want to, I want to set myself up as a designer first and a, and a publisher to some degree second. And we want to make sure that the publishing side goes well. We're very confident about that, but you know, if I lose my shirt making this first game, I I don't want to necessarily lose my pants as well. (laughs) Is the publishing side, and, and this is a, a question I get into off and on with a, a lot of people, is the publishing side something you're kind of putting up with so that you can get the design out, or is it something that you actually kind of enjoy doing, or, or are you not sure yet because you haven't gone fully through what all the uh, hills and hurdles for publishing yet? The, actually, the publishing came easier than I was ever expecting it would, it would come. Part of it is I'm, I'm lucky enough to work with a great team 
that understands the business side a little bit more and is really good at not just getting quotes back from, from our top manufacturer and then rolling with it, but, you know, really is good at researching and cutting costs and being intelligent about planning. So the, the publishing hasn't been difficult so far. And as long as the Kickstarter goes well, I, I think that will be generally pretty smooth. But to answer your question, I think we really wanted to publish the game ourselves because we're so passionate about the game. And I was a little nervous. I took some meetings with some publishers that were moving towards maybe selling or licensing the game. But we're just so in love with this game. We just wanted to make sure that it was done the way we wanted it to be done. And after this game comes out, we'll see. Yeah, and it's not a bad thing to have to say, well, you know, I'm kind of putting up with the publishing side to do the design. I always find it interesting to see where people sit on that whole thing because some people are strictly like, I just want to design. I can't stand the publishing side of things. But like you kind of said just there, is I, I really wanted to get this game, my game out the way I wanted it to be. Or some people are somewhere in the middle. or some, And I've even had a few people say, you know what, I, I prefer the publishing side. I don't think I'm going to do a lot on the design side anymore. So it's always interesting to see where everybody falls in going through this process, especially for the first time and maybe what they've they've learned during the process so far. Yeah, everyone in my team is, is, is good at a different role. And, you know, my friend Sam, his unique alien power is that he's a great demoer and he's just amazing. He wears a top hat and people come over. And just because of the top hat and he reels them in, you are now entering chaos mode. And all of a sudden they're just wide eyed. They sit down and Matt, like I said, he's the, his variable player power is, is the business side and, and financial acumen. And my brother Danny is, his power is some artwork and page layout and stuff. And I'm primarily the design, but I'm, I'm very willing to, play on every in, in every role if, if, if it, that's what it, it takes because it's not just like I said it's not just this one game I, I I'm willing to become a publisher so that I can continue being a designer well and it sounds it sounds to me also like you've got again you've got the team so you can divide out that work so it's not all it's not like somebody else coming in and, and there's a, a, a single individual wanting to get a game out and and uh, have either attempted the publisher side of things and, and had no luck or, like I said, just decided, hey, I really want this game out my way. I'm going to, you know, take it to the people, if you will, take it to the crowd, f- crowds and, uh, see if I can get it funded and then have to all of a sudden go, oh, uh, manufacturing, oh, shipping, oh, fulfillment, you know, all that kind of stuff and get overwhelmed with that. You've, you've at least got a nice team that you can spread out. And, and like you said, everybody has their uh, ability, their, their, player power uh, that they bring to the table. So you've got a, a nice su- support structure around uh, Mirrorbox games right now, it sounds like. It's sort of like we're, we're playing a co-op game, and hopefully the win ratio is better than Arkham Horror. <laughs> you uh, put Mirrorbox games together. You have Chaosmos well-designed. Actually, let's go back to that. That's, that's something I usually like to explore as well. Uh, during your process of bringing Chaosmos to where it is today and ready to put it on out on Kickstarter tomorrow and letting me know that you've got several other designs kind of in the background that you'd like to bring forward. Have you started to develop an actual process around your design or is it game by game for you at this point? My process is always the same in that 
the mechanics are a natural evolution of the theme. I always start with a spark of inspiration first, and it's always rooted in the human experience in some way. So if I am thinking one day, man, I, I really loved that one time I was outside watching fireworks. How can I replicate that experience in a board game or in a card game? That's always the way I start. I never start with, oh, I have a great idea for a mechanic where you know you flip tokens over or I have a great idea for a mechanic where where this happens. It's it's always trying attempting to replicate the greatest moments of my life over and over again. And it's been amazingly, surprisingly successful. So how do you go about then going from I've got the theme, I got I know I, I've got the theme and the feeling I want. Now it's time to put a mechanic to it. How does that process go for you? Well, I'm pretty literal usually. When I say to myself, man, I love that feeling of ripping open a Magic the Gathering booster pack or opening presents for Christmas, I start with a box or an envelope and I put, you know, mysterious cards inside and then I make that a core mechanic. I'm not sure I'm as outside the box thinker as someone like Klaus Tuber or uh, Vlada Chavato or you know, these guys who they, they somehow create these games with just totally wacky mechanics that seems to work. I just replicate the experience and it either works or it doesn't. And if it doesn't, then I put it back into the hat and try something else. Okay. Obviously from our conversation, I mean, you've done a lot of play testing of Chaosmos. Have you done like very structured play testing or blind play testing as well as part of your process? Yeah. So one thing I did was I went to a bunch of game stores and I found out when their board game nights were. And then I would just show up at the board game nights with the best looking prototype I could put together with 3D printed miniatures and cards and sleeves and everything looking very nice. And I would put the box in front of them and I would sometimes run two or three or four copies simultaneously. And I would sit on a stool in the corner and with a little notepad and I wouldn't say a word. And I would watch and record what happened from the moment they opened the box. I mean, how they opened the box, what they looked at when they looked at the box to the moment they put it back into the box, that entire process. And it was incredible to find out just how badly written my first version of the rule book was. <laughs> but I learned a lot. And watching people play the game wrong and still have fun was thrilling because it actually gave me some really unique ideas for, for the final version of the game. Wow, they really seem to like the, using these two cards together. Maybe I should figure out a way to make those two cards work together. So we ran about two blind playtest sessions and we've changed a couple small rules and we've altered the map a little bit so that there's very little player downtime now. That's that's been something we've improved a lot to the point where it's it's essentially a non-issue in the in the new version. And so we, we have to do one more round of blind playtesting before we, we release the game. Let's go ahead and go into what we've kind of been leading up to here. Chaosmos is going to be on Kickstarter tomorrow, uh, January 2nd, running for 30 days? 31 days. 31 so it'll, days. it'll end on fe February 2nd. Please back it early so that we, we look cooler on Kickstarter. <laughs> and I've seen the preview page. You are going to be looking for $40,000 on this project, which is pretty ambitious for a first-time project. And we'll talk about that a bit here as we, we go on. At least I, I have some uh, conversation around it. Hopefully we can get to. But before we get there, why don't you go ahead and give us your high-level pitch for Chaosmos for people that want to go check out the project. Sure. So 
Chaosmos is a space-themed board game set in a collapsing universe. Players are going to assume the roles of aliens on the hunt for a rare artifact that will save their race from doom. So you're going to be moving around the galaxy, exploring planets, and each planet has a corresponding envelope full of cards. And you're on a cosmic treasure hunt for one specific card. And it's a competitive treasure hunt. So you're all vying for the same, the same card. And the buildup of the game and the strategies in the game are all leading towards that final turn because you need that card. It's called the Ovoid when the universe collapses. And the Ovoid is at least prophesied to be the seed of the new universe. So you all want the Ovoid when the universe collapses. It's a two to four player game that is one winner or no winner, right? Right. I mean, it, you can potentially, everybody can potentially lose if nobody has the ovoid by the time the uh, clock ticks down. Right. But you want to be that one person with the ovoid in your hand. $55, you're looking at, you've got some early birds uh, or $60 uh, for the base game. So the, the early bird we're calling the community level because we've got so many friends and and playtesters that have been a part of the pro- process for so long that uh, that we're gonna we're gonna give out the game at fifty five dollars, but I think that'll go pretty quick, and then it'll be it'll be sixty for the for the base game, and then there actually is a fifth player expansion that comes with the uh, the larger tier, which is going to be uh, eighty dollars for the community level, and then ninety dollars for the non community level tier. And uh, those are not small numbers for for board games, but what are we talking about here? I mean, you, this is not a small card only game. So, what comes in the box? Well, first of all, we're producing the game with Panda GM, and they make Eclipse and I think Merchants and Marauders. And the quality of the components is, as far as I can tell, the best in the industry. I I really wanted to go with Panda, and that's the primary reason why our goal is is forty thousand. The game comes with Eight 35 millimeter plastic ejection molded miniatures, and each alien has its own little special power, and that relates to the to the design of the miniature. Like Brune is the adventurer, and he has a jetpack that moves him fast, and Hamflagen has a bunch of extra arms which he can use to carry extra equipment. The game comes with the the game board, the chaos clock, and the ten envelopes which we're calling the planetary lockers, and then the the different aliens and the cards and the markers and the tokens and the dice. So, yeah, I mean there's there's a lot to this game. It's not uh, again, it's not just a hey, here's a here's a card game. There's a lot that comes in this box and it looks great. I did get a chance to check out I, you know, I I know you uh, attempted to get a hold of me for a review. Unfortunately, we're kind of been booked out for a while, but I did see that you talked to um, my buddy Lance and I saw you had a review from him i checked out his review i see you've got a few other reviews on the way which is good so go on out there and check those out people as they get posted but there there's a lot in this game and there i like the idea behind this game i like uh what you've included in this game like you said you kind of started with theme and to me that kind of shines the theme kind of comes out i i like the potential for the trading the negotiation the bluffing and all of that stuff and, and trying to figure out where the ovoid is and of course get it for yourself. It's not a small thing that we're talking about here. I mean, we're, it's, you know, miniatures and 
and uh, a nice game board and envelopes to for each of the planets to hide the cards where the ovoid can potentially be if it's not in a player's hand. And of course, there's a ton of cards and there's character sheets and tokens and all that good stuff. So we're not talking about something small here, but you know, I I gotta kind of ask, and and you kind of alluded to this earlier. Why not go with a smaller project for your first one? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Part of it is it just comes down to I think passion. We've been playing this game for years, and we've been balancing it for years. And that's another thing I wanted to also speak to maybe later, but is just how tremendously balanced the game is, considering how chaotic the first few turns are. But we we really wanted this game to be our first game, and I didn't want to come right out the gate with Cards Against Humanity type copy or you know a copy of uh, Dominion. That's just not for me. I wanted to say, look, this is who I am as a designer. You know, we have a unique type alien world, like sandbox style, unique card interaction, unique envelope system, and there's a time travel card that changes when the game ends. I mean, really different stuff that, that's not happening in, a, in other games. And so it's worth it to me to, I guess, take the risk and, and make this, make this our, our first game. And if that means setting the goal realistically so that we can make the game with miniatures and make the game the quality that people will be proud to own, then, then that's what we're going to do. I got to say, and I've said this a few times in a few different other interviews, I hope that people get that. And, uh, cause again, it's the, to me, looking at your project and looking at what comes in the box and, uh, the 40,000 doesn't make me blank at all. I think that is realistic. The problem that we've got a little bit of in the, in Kickstarter realm is people are really expecting the smaller numbers. You know what I mean? I mean, they're, they're used to seeing maybe 20, 30,000 is kind of a stretch, but I would like, I'm a big advocate of getting to the point where, you know what? Uh, let's not, if you need 40,000, say you need 40,000, don't do a 15,000 and hope you get more because then you're going to struggle, right? If you only get to 20,000. We, yeah, I mean, we would be disappointed if we, if we just, just reached 40 because we, we'll, we'll be proud to make the game at 40 and we'll, we'll do the absolute best we can, can do. But this game, it costs 40,000 to make. That's what it costs. And you know, we're gonna. I'm sick of I'm sick of these project creators basically just straight up lying as to how much money they need. And you know they'll cancel the project even if they're successful because they were hoping for you know six hundred thousand or something, and they'll set it at fifteen thousand, thinking that that will help their project. That's not really I think how Kickstarter was designed to be operated. So we're we're being honest. You know that's what it costs to make the game, and that's what we set our goal at. Well, and just to be fair to some other project owners as well, I mean, some of them are like, okay, it's going to cost us 30000 but we're willing to put in 10000 if we have to, that kind of stuff as well. But I have talked to several owners off interview, if you will, and it is the whole, well, you know, we really needed this, but we knew that people were going to think twice if we asked for that amount. So, yeah, we asked for a smaller amount and kind of just hoped and if we had to, we would scramble to do it. But again, it's, you don't want to be in a position, especially making a game like this. You don't want to be attempting to scramble for anything. You want to produce the game that you're telling people you're producing. And I want things to get to the point where, like you said, you need 40,000 to make this game look the way it is right now. 
So that's what you're going for. And it shouldn't be, people shouldn't be blinking twice. It shouldn't be, oh, you, you need to ask for 20,000 and then we'll all pat you on the back when you hit 40,000 because you've done so well. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we're, and we are putting in, uh, I've certainly put in almost $10,000 just, just to get through development and playtesting and prototyping and previews and just the, basically all my, all my money has gone into this, this project. And essentially the last year of my life almost completely has been devoted to this project. But it's something that we agreed as a team, you know, we want to make this game and we want it to be the version of the game that we dreamed of when we were kids. We want people to get the box in the mail and just like flip for the box and flip for the cards and flip for the aliens and the miniatures. And then of course the game itself, which it is a designer game in every sense. It's unique and it's special and it may not be for everyone, but everyone who is willing to try it and take it seriously and give it a go, I think it'll be a permanent part of their shelf and a permanent part of their game group. So yeah, I'm putting all my, all my free money and all my, all my time into it. But, uh, but in order to be successful, we're going to need to hit 40,000. You had uh, alluded to a little bit earlier that you kind of wanted to talk about the, uh, it, it sounded like the variable player powers and how balanced they were. There's, there's a bunch of different things in this game that makes it unique. There's the, each planet has its own envelope and you'll be able to move around in sort of any direction you want. It's, it's a very open world game. Um, you'll have cards that interact in unique ways and you'll land on planets and get new cards and drop off the cards you don't need or can't afford to carry. And then your aliens, each alien has a very strange and interesting power that relates to its culture and personality. And like Clocknid, the automaton can open vaults. And when he gets trapped, it, the trap sends him wherever he wants to go, like he's uploading to the Internet or something. And a Turnic has extra combat strength. And Drusu has almost black magic scrying technology, which is like telepathy. It lets him lets him seek the Ovoid from afar, but it won't necessarily help him get the Ovoid. So as you play these aliens, I always encourage people to try to play their alien or play their personality as their alien. You know, if I'm playing Neeksy the scavenger and I like crawling in damp, dark spaces and taking things back that have been that have been discarded, you know, try to think like Neeksy. If you're Haku in the homesick, you are the last surviving alien of your race. And so you're going to keep going home. So try to try to think of your alien as yourself. And it, it's a very thematic experience. But the powers, despite being very, very different, are incredibly balanced in that we, we've been charting in the Excel uh, spreadsheet all the different wins and the, the win ratio for all the different aliens since the very beginning of playtesting. And we've balanced the powers to a point where whenever the same person plays, you know, a different alien, he, he's going to win the same percentage of time regardless of which alien he plays. I've been asking this one quite a bit lately, but let's say somebody opens up your project tomorrow, is checking it out, and they're like, uh, you know, this this might be for me. What is the one or two things that you are going to make somebody that you want to you want to stress that is going to make somebody say, I've got to back this project? Yeah, there's so much. Wow, <laughs> I don't even know where to begin. I first of all, I would say if if you like thematic experiences, which there's a lot of, I guess you, you, you would say chaos in the beginning, but as you gain a handle over the, over the board, you'll realize how much control you have. It, it's a very 
it's a deduction game that's been upgraded to like a true strategy game. So if you like lying to your friends, if you like the psychological aspect to be a very powerful aspect of the game, you'll probably like this game. If I had to choose just one big thing, I would say probably it's it's just this concept of there's no draw deck in the game. Each planet has its own specific locker of cards. And as you move around, it's like an ecosystem of cards. You'll pick up cards from one planet and carry some of them to another planet and then realize, ah, I don't really need these, and you'll leave them there. And so all the cards are constantly shifting around this ecosystem. And you'll realize, oh, man, I, I really needed the defense card that will totally undermine and reflect damage back on Jeff. So let me go back to Pendra and get the defense card. So cards will constantly shift around. And what you think you knew about a game, you didn't necessarily know. And there's a lot of surprises in the game and a lot of people communicating after the game is over. Oh, my God. Remember that time you got trapped and you got sent back to Jagladak? And then on Jagladak, you found the Ovoid. And the other person's like, no, that wasn't the Ovoid. That was the Temporal Displacer. And then I, I mailed the Temporal Displacer back to Melgor using the Hypertube and da-da-da-da-da. And it's, it, it's, it's, you're, you're weaving a story. You're weaving a narrative without even trying to weave it. It just happens naturally because of the, the nature of the open world of the game. So people that, that like experiences and not just doing math at the table will like Chaosmos. I like that concept. And, also, it's on, I mean, again, it's the, uh, you might even think you know what's at a location, but you also have to kind of take into account that everybody else is traveling around as well and, and redistributing cards. And just because you remember dropping off a card somewhere doesn't mean that somebody else hasn't picked it up along the way. And, uh, so yeah, that, that deduction and a little bit of memory maybe, but the deduction and, and what happened there and, and, what's been deposited since you left last time. So you're kind of re-exploring an area. I think all of that sounds pretty cool. Is there, how, how much of a take that mechanic uh, do you have in place as well? A little screw your neighbor type. I mean, you're destroying the entire universe. And <laughs> so only one alien is going to win. And so there's a lot of screw your neighbor in that you can set a trap face up. So that most cards go face down in the envelopes when you open the, the envelope you know, you see the cards you get to take. But there's traps that you can set face up, and there's vaults that you can set face up that allow people to see the cards that are inside, but then just not get them, and then they get banished back to their home planet, or they or they can't uh, they can't access them without getting a key and then revealing the key. So you might hide the ovoid on the other player's toxic planet, so the planet he can't go to without his environment gear. So he'll go off and look for, you know, he'll land on the planet, and he'll, he'll say, look, I, I spent the last, you know, 15 minutes you know, fighting, battling over my environment gear. And now I've got my respiration worm and here I am and I'm ready to land on Guriwan. And he, he looks in the envelope and he's like, oh my God, there it is. But he doesn't want to reveal that that's where the ovoid is because there's a vault there and he has to go now on another mission to find a key. So there's a lot of that going on, but a lot of it is sort of Cold War subterfuge. You look across the table and you know that he knows that you have it. And he knows that you know that he knows that you have it. But the person to your left and right, they might not know that you have it or know that you know that he knows that he knows that you have it or whatever. And so there's a lot of hilarity that comes at the end of the game where you're arguing, I left it on Pendra. I know I did. And he's like, yes, but remember, then Clock did came by and he picked it up. And Clock is like, no, I didn't really pick it up. You thought I picked it up. But but then I got beaten in battle by so-and-so and that person didn't get the ovoid because I had secretly left it on Pendra. 
And and then people realize, are you telling me that it was on Pendra the whole time and no one ever touched it? Like hilarious stuff like that happens. But it, it is also a, a medium to heavy strategy game in that it's not just like chaos, like Munchkin or something. I mean, it is a strategy game in that the choices you make have ripple effects that affect the rest of the game. And when you send a card somewhere, that will change forever the nature of other people's strategies. And when you decide, okay, I'm going to collect spores, and the more spores I get, the more powerful I'll get. If I know you have the spores, and I go get the counter for the spores, I might just hide out and wait to the, to the last turn, and then try to undermine your, your spore strategy. Or maybe you'll suspect that I have the, the, the immunity to the spores, so you'll leave the spores behind and get something else. And so then I'm carrying around a spore immunity that doesn't help me. So there's a lot of adapting to each other's strategies and trying to outmaneuver. Um, so it is a very strategic game. So it's a, yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of the uh, Princess Bride moment stuff in there, which is something else that we really enjoy. Man, we sh- I wish we would have been able to talk earlier and I could have got you on the schedule because this sounds up our alley. <laughs> <laughs> Are you talking about the inc- the inconceivable scene where, yes. <laughs> where you know that I know? Yes. yes we, we, we talk about that moment all the time when we find games that do it well. <laughs> So we're getting close to the end of our time here. So let's uh, talk about lessons. Uh, any Kickstarter lessons that you'd like to share with uh, people that are looking to uh, use Kickstarter in the future? So this is your first project. So what did you learn coming up to launch here? Because you're going to be launching pretty quick. Well, the, the first thing is that you are never doing enough, but you can't get stressed about it. Because if you get stressed about it, you won't be able to do anything. So. First of all, you have to be a part of the community. You can't just say, well, I have a documentary and I'm passionate about the documentary or I have a board game and I'm passionate about the board game. You have to be a part of the community that you're going to be asking money from. So part of being a game designer means you can't just design games unless you have a, a way to, to sell them and not publish them yourself. You, you really have to be a part of the community. You've got to go to the cons. You've got to meet the people. You've got to watch the YouTube videos. You've got to listen to the podcast and play games. You've got to play all the games. And then once you're sure your game is, is, is ready, you've got to show people in the industry. And when it comes to getting coverage for your Kickstarter itself, you can't just cold email a bunch of people because no one will care. You have to meet people at cons and follow up with them and collect an email list and build a Facebook following. And it's a very slow process. And honestly, I would not recommend someone do it alone. You know, part of the reason it's been such a pleasure for me is that every con I go to, I get a new champion and the champions are the people that are really going to change the face of your project. I have a, a one fan who's writing fan fiction in the Chaosmos universe right now. That's nice. how much he loves the game. And I've had many people introduce me to other reviewers and other podcasters and, you know, hey, you know, let me call my friend Jeff. Yeah. And that's been, I think, the most unexpected thing. So lesson learned with Kickstarter. I could be really specific if you'd like about really specific traps not to fall into, but, but just generally don't do it alone. Join the community and you're never doing enough, but don't get stressed about it. It sounds like you've got several great reviews coming up from, from good reviewers. And yeah, if you've got, if you've already got fans writing fan fiction before the, the official game is out. That's awesome. <laughs> well, we'll see what happens. I think the theme is unique in that it's dark, but it's also playful. There's really strange looking aliens and they all have their own motivations. But 
it is also about the ultimate fate of the universe and what happens after the universe ends. And so some people are drawn to that. And even if you're not interested in the theme, I think everybody is going to be really impressed and excited about the area specific envelopes mechanic, because just that alone, I, I haven't seen it done quite like that in any other game. So we are looking at Chaosmos will be launching tomorrow and going until February 2nd, 2014. And he's looking for $40,000. And again, there's some uh, community level stuff out there and then uh, a base game and some other levels to look at. Other than your uh, your base game level, is there a level that you're super excited that you guys got to include? Well, I'm I'm definitely excited about there's there's something we call the master of the universe tier, and so anybody who maybe just wants everything that that the game alone is not enough, we're gonna throw in an extra alien and the fifth player expansion, so that that'll be fun for people who want everything. And I've got some stretch goals that are coming up, which I I don't want to reveal all of them early but involves two really crazy additional aliens. We can make a really high amount of money. But otherwise, the base game, I think, is perfect, and people will be happy with the with the $55 uh, tier. Awesome. All right, so as usual, and especially since this will be coming out uh, shortly after this launches, the link will be in the show notes. So definitely go check out Chaosmos. And uh, again, there's going to be uh, several reviews out there. You can check it out. There's some gameplay video there and intro to the game, all that good stuff. So check out the game. And if it looks like something that you're interested in, back it and, uh, you know, bring a little Chaosmos to your new year. <laughs> Joey, thanks a lot for joining me, man. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks a lot, Jeff. And people can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash mirrorbox or at mirrorboxgame. So, this has been our first interview for 2014. Joey from Mirrorbox Games has joined me, giving us a look at Chaosmos. Again, go check that out. And we'll be talking to you soon. 